What have been your most memorable experiences with British food? You've probably heard of or even tried the classics like bangers and mash, fish and chips, and these aren't the typical dishes that has the foodies out there drooling or reaching for their smartphone cameras. Our guest today is someone who plans to change that by reinventing certain aspects of these dishes, as well as going back to basics when it comes to preparation. Paul Robinson, aka the Yorkshire Gourmet, is an outdoors cook and forager based in Yorkshire. He shares his story having left the corporate offices of London after two decades and trading them for a life of outdoor exploration and showing the world the true potential that seasonality and high quality produce can have on a small nation's cuisine. He highlights that most of us have become so disconnected from the source of our food that we forget what a huge impact it has on the taste. If you haven't already, you've got to check out his Instagram. I'll leave his handle in the description below. His photos are absolutely phenomenal and his dishes are out of this world. As always, don't forget to subscribe to Beautiful Minds on your preferred platform. And for those of you that haven't already, share it with those close to you. We're also planning exclusive live events, webinars and corporate training for those joining our new Beautiful Minds tribe. Send us a direct message on Instagram if you're interested in finding out more. But first, on to the episode. There's a lot of industrial past in the area and along the canals, which used to be the motorways of Britain, coal mining and so on old industry, there's sort of relics of the past which you can find. I mean, I, I changed my, my work so that I could have more time to be in the outdoors. You know, if you work five days a week and then you've just got the weekend, weekends were never enough because you'd be back at your desk from Monday and then wishing you're out again. The way I see it, a lot of things, people don't really take many risks. And I think that there's opportunity to take risks and sort of project your own personality in, into food. I, I like to put out ideas out there and play around and just take risks. It's just it's just fun, I think, is the, is the key thing, having fun with it. Fire and smoke, there are two key, key things which are really, really interesting that you can't do in the home. Release yourself from technology. Everybody's attached to their, their mobile phones like an umbilical Call, you know, it's um, a bit of a weird, weird situation. That's probably it's one of the prime things: quality of ingredients. I never really bother with tins or my, I don't have a microwave, so I don't have microwave meals. Everything's cooked from scratch. Hi, my name is Martin and this is Beautiful Minds. I'm joined by my best friend and co-host Staz and our guest today is Paul Robinson, also known as the Yorkshire Gourmet. Paul, you're a self-taught cook, photographer and forager from Yorkshire. You're well known for your appetite for exploring the outdoors and showcasing both the beautiful landscapes as well as the amazing ingredients that the UK has to offer. Paul, welcome to Beautiful Minds. It's personally a great pleasure to have you on. I've been following you for quite some time and I'd just like to say thanks because well, uh, some of my friends from overseas, they haven't got the nicest things to say about British cuisine. So your content really helps me put them back in their place. So thanks. <laughs> well, thanks for that. Nice to have, having me here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> how's everything going up in Yorkshire then? I know you've been kind of kept at bay uh, with, with all the lockdown stuff. I know you like to get out and explore. Yeah, it's, it's been all right locally. I mean, I can go for local walks and stuff, but... Um, 
getting to the, like the Lake Districts and, and Peak Districts and Wales and so on. It's a bit out of bounds at the minute. So, so how have you been coping? Um, well, local walks are okay. You know, they, they, they kind of, uh, you get a bit of a exercise kind of fix from it. But um, I know the, the area so well that there's not much um, other than having a bit of peace, but there's finding quite a lot of people about as well, which is the opposite of isolation. Yeah. Whereas when you go to the lakes, you know, you can easily find pure isolation there. But um, it's a bit ironic, really, that you're supposed to be um, <laughs> isolated. But um, just, you know, local paths and stuff. Yeah. Just meeting a lot of other, well, coming across a lot of other people there. And I think probably a positive thing from all this that is that people are actually finding um, benefits from the local area. Um, yeah more than before that's super important isn't it you think you know your area and then you can discover so many things right yeah yeah sure um you know i know the area quite well so i kind of i'm finding more and more new things in the area things that i've not seen before um like a hidden trig point at 50 meters altitude (laughs) and then you think well i've been up hellvelling and places like that which if you look up in the sky that's 900 meters higher up but um, yeah, little things there. There's a lot of industrial past in the area um, along the canals, which used to be the motorways of Britain. Um, coal mining and so on, old industry. There's sort of relics of the past which you can find, um, which is quite interesting. But yeah, you know, other than that it's like being in nature is very, very beneficial for you mentally. Um, local walks. A good you know I'll do probably seven miles average um, at the sort of peak of the epidemic I was probably averaging about 30 miles a week uh, which is good which is good yeah. exercise it's amazing yeah um, yeah it's just like keeping fitness levels up you know it's rather than you could just be isolated at home it's not it's no good no, yeah. Um, but yeah, the exercise locally is great um, from that perspective. But it's quite easy because there's not many hills, um, whereas I'm used to big hills, mountains. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're a proud Yorkshireman. I can definitely tell that, uh, and I think <laughs> anyone that looks at your profile can can tell that as well. But what um, has London ever played a big role in your life? London. Yeah, the capital. Uh, I studied in London for three years. I got a degree there. Oh, okay. Um, I've done a bit bit of work there and so on. Um, So I I do get to London occasionally um, and then find that I want to get out of London. (laughs) (laughs) Like we all do, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone only Uh, comes here to escape, right? That's the only reason to come. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't know. I like London. It's all right for short bursts of time. Um, It's a a different thing. The city is, is... it's completely different to mountains and hills and countryside. Um, so you, sometimes you need that fix of, of a city. But I mean, I, I live not far from Leeds, and Leeds is a is a pretty impressive city. But yeah, London, I, I don't really get there very often. Um, last time I was there was March with a meeting with a publisher, and then um, <laughs> the coronavirus thing started, and then yeah. I went a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. What do you feel when you're in the countryside and the mountains, other than the fresh air, of course? What, what do you feel? <clears throat> what do you feel? Well, 
You feel enormously free. I think freedom is the word. Your senses are more open, I think, um, and it gives you space to think more clearly than you would in a city. You know, if you're in a, on a tube train, you kind of daydream. But when you're in, in a sort of isolated, mountainous situation, it, it, it frees the mind massively. And what do you feel? Well, you, you, you feel the climate, you feel the conditions. It's 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 more of a feeling than than uh, what you're you're not kind of quite conscious of what you're actually feeling at the time because mm. you, you're more immersed in the, the surroundings. Does um, time stop for you? It yeah, you kind of you forget a lot of things. If you know if you've got any worries and things like that, it depends on your mindset. Depends on your sort of state of mind. You can kind of uh, yeah forget a lot of of you know lots of other things and. Um, it's like the, the, the expanse of sky is almost like a empty canvas for thought as such. So that, whereas if you're in a city, it's congested and there's so many distractions um, that I think it's a, probably a skill in places like that where you can focus more, um, which you would learn. You know, I, th- I think that I'm, I'm just kind of addicted to open spaces. I think probably... One of the things, maybe claustrophobia or something like that, that I just prefer big open expanses of space more than congested, polluted areas. Yeah, it's interesting. And how specifically would you say that helps you in your everyday life? Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a pretty good question. Uh, I think on the whole, it's quite freeing because if you if you lived in a congested area and you quite con, you know quite fixed in where you could go you would be pretty frustrated so the advantage of big open spaces is that um you know you can escape all that yeah quite considerably i mean i i changed my my work so that i could have more time to be in the outdoors you know if you work five days a week and then you've just got the weekend weekends were never enough because you'd be back at your desk on monday and then wishing you're out again but it, it does affect your sort of uh, happiness level as well if you're a person who enjoys nature and enjoys peace and solitude and isolation all those kind of things that you know it's something that you really need more and more so i don't think many people know about your your past and how you transformed and changed direction uh, you, you did have a, like an everyday job where you were kind of doing repetitive things. I remember you saying in your video that you then switched to outdoor photography and, and food, right? So yeah. can you tell us a bit about that transformation, where you started and where you are now? Yeah, I worked in, in graphic design for 20 years. I got a degree in graphic design mm-hmm. and uh, I worked quite intensively towards the end with a quite, quite high up senior position, which is quite stressful. Um, and a lot of demands and I was working for a, a, a big company that sells outdoor equipment and the irony was that a lot of people who worked there weren't really spending that much time outdoors um, so as I was sat at my desk I just looked out of the window and just wished I were out there really and so I've worked in graphic design 20 years which was good and worked hard and then 20 years of, of time you get into a better financial position to take that risk that financial risk to be able to spend more time doing the things you want to do rather than waiting until retirement and then fitness levels not as high 
you know, you've waited quite a lot of years for that freedom. And I'm sort of more, more midlife. And I've got the rest of my life to um, enjoy it rather than a, a short duration. If you can get into a position where it's viable to be outdoors more, to do the things you want to enjoy, then, then that's a, a good thing to, to work towards. But um, I don't really have any regrets leaving full-time employment. I still work hard, though. I mean, um, I do a lot of photography now. I've done a lot of photography for a lot of years. I worked as a part-time photojournalist as well alongside the day job. And so during that time, I developed quite a lot of skills in that area. And I think that combining skills really now with writing, photography, those skills that I have, I, I use to my advantage, really, with things like Instagram to communicate the message. And then cooking has been a, a thing that I've done from sort of, you know, teenager, teenage years. Um, so I'm completely self-taught in that area. Yeah. But it's kind of a, food is a, it's like a, an area to be creative with as well. And I think it, it, it's quite interesting that, just to have different approach to things with food, the way I see it, a lot of things, people don't really take many risks. And I think that there's opportunity to take risks and sort of project your own personality in, into food as well, which I think comes across <laughs> yeah. in my work. <laughs> and you've mentioned that you use uh, Instagram to communicate your message. What is your message? I think it's to think outside the box would be okay. the, the simple way of looking at it. I think provenance plays a big part in my work. So it's it's utilising things which are in season, things that come from the local area, um, things which are on your doorstep, so foraging. And those, those things are kind of part of my persona, I guess. I think that Instagram is quite interesting in that you can – be what you want to be on there so I mean I could change direction tomorrow if I liked um, I think that's the quite interesting thing with the likes of Instagram that you can it just gives you the freedom because you're not selling something in a restaurant you can take those gambles you can take those risks I mean I, you know, I cook for 12 people at five and nine so I can do all the testing myself and then five and nine is a really great concept because it's very, very different to a conventional restaurant where people sit outside in a woodland environment, which is very, very different. That's the way I like to think is how can you do things differently? What do you have to offer? You know, what, what makes you stand apart from anybody else? Otherwise, yeah. you're just kind of copying or reinventing. I just look for other ways of finding inspiration. Um, so that could be from music. Music plays a big part in my kind of creative process. I, I like to put out ideas out there and play around and just take risks. It's just it's just fun. I think is the is the key thing. Having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like you're having a lot of fun for sure, and you're telling a unique story because you're combining all these elements of what we consider as traditional in the UK, and you're kind of adding a bit of I don't know, like flash to it like a bit of more like you're uplifting and giving a bit of a facelift let's say i think it's very unique because you don't really see that story being told in the same way but what i'm curious about is you mentioned it took you well you're in that role for 20 years but surely that idea didn't come to you 
after 20 years, you must have had that idea somewhere down the line and it was probably somewhere in the back and you thought, when would be the right time to make that leap? Yeah, well, I, I kind of tried things out. I thought, I'll try. I've done lots of different types of photography, like landscape photography, motorcycle photography. I've been involved in those areas quite significantly. And so I wanted to try out food photography and Instagram seemed to be a thing where people photograph what, what they've made. And I thought, all right, I'll, I'll just see how this looks. I'll, I'll photograph something I've cooked, see how it looks. It, it, it's quite a useful thing just to sort of test yourself really as well so that you can put a photograph out there and see oh yeah it's quite interesting the response i'm getting from this yeah so it, it just escalates from there and it, that's a bit effectively how it has probably i mean it's been about seven years now of instagramming i kind of know where i am with things and i can sort of look back and what I've, what I've done and think about how how it can progress but i get that many ideas that it's a bit exhausting sometimes because I can't really fulfill all those ideas. Can't cook everything in one day. So kind of different processes have come up with ideas, like using uh, the alphabet, using random letters, any a choice of five random letters, and then choose an ingredient with, with the first letter. Um, and then it's quite a challenge. It's quite a, a bit of a puzzle. You construct something from randomness. <laughs> which is i think quite interesting it's just different processes so yeah i mean that's i just enjoy it. it's just good fun yeah trial and error and just experimenting yeah. and i know you're getting the attention of jamie oliver and, and some other uh bigger names and i know you know you must be heading in a certain direction do you think being a tv chef or you know which route are you thinking of taking next well, I have been asked, I've been approached to do some TV work. I've done video work for a few companies and sort of had a test, really. I had a feel for it and get some confidence in it. And um, yeah, I've been, I've been asked to do a TV show, which would be very different, which wouldn't be conventional cooking at home. Here's how yeah. to make a Yorkshire pudding. You know, it's none, none of that kind of boringness. It's... It, it would combine everything that, that I'm into, like the outdoors. Um, yeah, the fire. Yeah, fire. I mean, fire is fire and smoke. There are two key key things which are really, really interesting that you can't do in the home. Uh, well, you could. But you <laughs> the fire alarm off. But, uh, <laughs> Wouldn't recommend uh, that. Yeah. yeah, smoke infusion in, into food and fire using that. Uh, it's, it's much more alive. It's more primal. Mm. Uh, I think that a lot of people are quite interested in those back to basics. It's a release from the everyday, from technology. Um, that's another thing about the outdoors. It's a place to release yourself from technology. Everybody's attached to their, their mobile phones like an umbilical cord. You know, it's um, a bit of a weird, weird situation. So yeah, TV thing is quite, quite interesting. I think if it was done in the right way with the right kind of filming right style right music uh and capturing those outdoor scenes i think that'd be quite an interesting exciting thing to watch um, it's not really about me it's about people seeing themselves in that setting you know inspiring people i think is the thing uh, definitely nice to think that people get inspired by it 
yeah for sure i mean i always like to get creative in the kitchen and uh, especially with you know the red meats the steaks i always try to kind of give it that charred effect because visually it adds something right when you work hard the whole day and you want to i don't know you want to connect with your food a bit more deeply rather than just cooking something simple right because sometimes you want to spoil yourself and i think when you connect to nature that's really where you get back to the roots of how humans eat yeah it's quite primal quite sort of caveman like and i think that people are a little bit led by the media in some way into into certain things but i think that there are so many more of the possibilities like you say it's it's you want to you want to treat yourself and i i always try and source the best ingredients i think that's probably it's one of the prime things quality of ingredients um that's a, always a good starting point and it's cooking things with care yeah yeah and when you when you use those primal methods to cook your food what what do you think what qualities does it add like why what why are you doing that you mean why why would a cook over a fire rather than a gas exactly pot? yeah well it's a sense of occasion it's a sense it's an experiential thing um and also the end result the, the quality of the food the smoking fusion i mean you can do all these things on a barbecue you know at home uh, yeah. you could make a fire pit at home and you can achieve those sorts of things um gas hobs fine i mean you know boiling stuff grilling things but ultimately i think it just affects the end result and you think very carefully about how you'd use so you wouldn't you know just you don't want to burn anything so it requires a bit of skill just to cook over fire because you've got no temp you apart from a decent ceramic grill or something you've got temperature gauge but live fire cooking there's no temperature control so it's completely a different skill set so you, you have to learn the nuances of, of wood fire cooking um and i think it is it's quite rewarding uh yeah it's quite rewarding and, and difference in flavor Types of wood you use, types of charcoal, wood smoke. There's there's more factors there which affect the, the end result. Yeah, it's very interesting, especially when you talked about the locally sourced ingredients, because that must also be quite rewarding, right? Using things that are in season, things that are fresh, things that haven't got a lot of uh, kilometers on them. Yeah. yeah, reducing food miles, carbon footprint, um, and also supporting local producers, local farms, and quite a lot of people now during the pandemic have realized this and I think are doing more things like that nowadays and I think you just take you just have more appreciation in where things are grown where they come from like in other countries like in France this is prevalent you know like cheese producers wine there's a te- the terroir aspect of French food which just seems to be there you know, like by default and in this country we don't really have any sense of that my experiences of eating in France that people take more care in where they choose where the food comes from. They know yeah. where it comes from. Um, they know when things are in season. And uh, French, obviously, is known for its gastronomy. That's quite a large influence in my work, I think, French cooking, um, more than any other country, I think. Any other? Why do you think we've lost that, though? I don't think we've lost it. I think in certain areas, it's there. It's, still, it's always been there. I think we have we have lost it to some degree because of the way people buy things. Right. 
probably going to continue just by the likes of online shopping now as well. You know, yeah. going into a green, you know, you can go into a greengrocer's and you can see the vegetables and smell them, and feel them, and touch them, and, and get a sense of what you're actually buying. Whereas people, I think, through online shopping, are just going to be more and more detached from that, which is a bit of a negative, rather than the old school going to a butcher's or a greengrocer's or going to a butcher's and getting the, the exact cut you, that you want. Yeah. Uh, I think it's quite important, that kind of thing. Yeah, I saw recently that Jamie Oliver was promoting a company that we've started using called Field and Flower. And they, they, they source everything locally and you know, it's very affordable. You can tell on the pictures, the quality is, is, is really nice. And uh, hopefully with more chefs and food personalities coming out and saying, hey guys, you know, most of the ingredients I use to make this amazing recipe are from the UK. It's in season. And maybe if those people start educating consumers more, perhaps we can reverse that trend and really understand in what direction we should be going. Yeah, well, seasonality has been there for quite some time. And there are many, many cookbooks that, that are devoted to the subject of seasonality. I think it's just having an awareness of seasonality. I mean, people who buy strawberries in December and things which is madness you know asparagus which comes from peru you know in off season it's 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 really really weird i think i think some people have a sense of what's in season and i think that it's great because if if you appreciate that you know that when jersey royals arrive and when asparagus arrives and those seasons are very short you kind of want to make the most of, of those ingredients at that time and if you enjoy you know like like the bounty of spring summer and then when you get to autumn you've got autumnal ingredients to enjoy so it just varies what you eat rather than people who eat continuously the same things regardless of season it seems what other aspects from other cuisines have you taken and incorporated into your <coughs> yeah um i really enjoy spicy food so thai indian chinese is, is in Caribbean mm. they are very very enjoyable especially now coming into summer and a lot of my mindset right now is Caribbean food and barbecue food yeah. um, and those things the, the things that come from I mean obviously you've got pineapples and mangoes which come from another country but we can we still have them in this country and why not enjoy them they're brought into this country French Italian is very very strong uh, influence. Um, had an uncle who was Italian, um, so I, I enjoyed a lot of his food. So I had pasta when I was very young, around about eight years old, and he introduced me to r wild rabbit at that age. Oh, wow. Not a lot of kids eat wild wild <laughs> animals at that age, which is quite interesting. He did a spaghetti bolognese, and it was with a rabbit ragu, and it was it was amazing and invited my family around and we all sat there and ate it and then he told us afterwards it was rabbit and uh, <laughs> and not to sort of put us off initially but i found it amazing um, and that that sort of thing stayed with me for quite a lot of time um, i've always tried to uh try and nail it on how he did it how he made it and i, I don't think i've ever succeeded i keep trying <laughs> um, you'll get there eventually and how has your yeah. relationship with food changed since, uh, I don't know, that experience, for example, since you were eight? Yeah, 
I appreciate the way things are made, the the, the satisfaction it, that comes from sourcing and and making things from scratch to its best ability. Because I, I came from a, a a background of wholesome Yorkshire food, which is finding its own right. Of course, yeah, it's, it's lovely. Really, yeah, good Yorkshire puddings, good baking, yeah, Sunday roasts, wholesome food. But it's, it's tried and tested. If, if you can do those things and they're, they're fine, if you can do, do those things to the best degree. You know, a lot of people use Bisto gravy and things like that, but you know, I'll, I'll make my own gravy from, yeah. from beef bones and things like that. Um, and it's so much more satisfying because the end result is far better. Yeah. I think that if you just take the time if you're going to have a Sunday roast, you know, it's only once a week, so might as well make the best of it. Yeah. I've always said Cornish food and food from Yorkshire are the best in the UK. Whenever people ask me, why do you like British food? And I'm like, well, if you go to London, you know, you can't really judge the fish and chips based on what you buy in Hackney or, or Camden. You need to go to your Brighton's, your Cornwall's, your, your coastline cities and try the fish and chips. And, you know, if you want to try Yorkshire puddings, go to Yorkshire, go find a proper gaff and, 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 and find real someone deal. that can make, yeah, the real deal. So nothing from a packet, you know? So if you take shortcuts, you'll taste basically bad food. But if you take, like you said, the time and the pride to put in, um, in into that food, the energy is going to, you're going to taste that energy in the end, right? Because that person's made it with passion. And I think British food is nice. And I think one of the strongest messages you managed to deliver is, is, hey, British food needs to be given another chance. Yeah, yeah, precisely it. I think you've just nailed it there. I think you've said all the things that um, are key to my ethos, I think, really. Um, mm. I think British food, um, it's become more diverse now. I mean, think of an area like Bradford, which is Yorkshire, which is well known for Indian food. Yeah. It's like, well, you ask the question, what defines Yorkshire? Well, it's, you do think of the stereotypes, but it's much more than that now. I think in this modern world we live in we've got far more diverse, much more diversity in cultures but you still have those underlying ideas ideals of yorkshire which is still prevalent there's still kind of a witty side to i think that personalities come through in food as well quite a nice thing with yorkshire there's a lot of wit and humor down-to-earth qualities of, of yorkshire people which comes through in the food I think the food that we put on our plates is a reflection of us, the standards we set, you know, the nutrition, the, the level of quality, the ingredients that we source, it shows how much we care, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that people, if they just have those, that outlook, ultimately it's, it's a better thing, isn't it? I mean, why, why, you know, I think people cook also for different reasons, like just to get a quick fix, like they don't have much time. So cooking from like, packets or tins inevitably the quality is not not as good it's just having having the time and that's one of the things that i have probably more than most people is that i have the time to spend longer yeah. cooking tea rather than i never really bother with tins or my, i don't have a microwave so i don't have microwave meals everything's cooked from scratch yeah and obviously like that's uh 
that's an aspect that you use in your fire and dine concept, right? That's why it's quite exclusive. It's not really something that can be uh, for a mass audience. Well, fire and dines for a limited amount of people, the food miles are extremely short because the food comes from an organic farm and you can actually see the like sheep through a, through a fence where people sit and eat. The vegetables come from a walled garden, seasonal wild ingredients, um, wine from a nearby vineyard, which is about 300 yards away. It's an extremely small food miles distance. So the food on the plate, the end result is extremely Yorkshire because you can't really get a shorter radius. <laughs> There's probably about three or four miles. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, if you went to France and you'd have true French food, if somebody came to Yorkshire, they have true uh, Yorkshire food, and that's why we've had people from different parts of the world who've come to Fire and Dines. But they're also experiencing something very different because the food's cooked over fires, over wood fire. So the end result is extremely sort of primitive, but ultimately it all boils down to flavour. It's uh, it's all about flavour, as I always say. Absolutely. And you're talking about the time you mentioned you one of the advantages in your in your approach is that you have more time. So I guess the the, the unique concept of fire and dime requires that time, otherwise it wouldn't be possible. Yeah. It, to do one fire and dime probably takes maybe a week of my time. Wow. Because the initial planning, sourcing, um, and then the day itself, which starts early. When the guests arrive, seven in the evening, there's so much work, so much build up, so much uh, work involved just to get to that stage. Yeah. So I'd, I don't really do many fire and dines, probably for that reason, um, because it's it's you know it's a small team. I'm the only chef, um, but it's worth it for the feedback. Because the feedback's incredible, and when all we get all twelve guests giving you great feedback at the end of the night. It, that's an amazing thing. It just makes it really worthwhile. Yeah, uh, and and it's 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 so primal and back to basics. And people sat around a fire at the end of the night, having a really good time and going away with a completely different experience that they've never had in a conventional restaurant. Yeah, it's quite quite a rare thing. Can you give us an example of some of the dishes that you would prepare? Um, yeah, I've done things. One of the one of the probably trickiest things was in a very hot summer. And it was a cold dessert, similar to a baked Alaska. So to try and achieve that, it's extremely difficult. And we actually used um, the old ice house, which was at Swillington. And I made um, an elderflower granita with um, burnt meringue on top. So it's kind of like a baked Alaska. Um, it's probably a standout dessert, which everybody... Loved and we had people from Singapore who came that time, um, and it was that was quite a quite a key thing. I think a lot of the people really are quite surprised when I serve up hay baked potatoes. And I use Jersey Royals when they're in season, and they're baked in a um, in, in a Dutch oven with hay over the embers. And they're cooked quite slowly, uh, and the hay infusion is very very interesting. People experience a different kind of flavor they've never had before 
and, it, mm. and I serve that with um, creme fraiche, crushed bacon, and chives, and it's just literally eat with your hands. Wow! And, um, but it's the flavour, and everybody's surprised, and and it's just like a, a, an appetizer at the start of the meal, and when they try that, and they think, "Wow, I've never had the flavour like this before." Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, think things like that, really simple stuff, and do a lot of slow braised cooking. So when guests arrive, there's something that's been in the pot for about eight hours. So like the lamb, for instance, which we've had a tremendous feedback on the, the organic lamb, um, which is Hebridean, from the farm, um, and the, the the feedback's amazing. And we've had some quite discerning guests as well. So things that slow braise, they're great because as soon as people arrive, they get the aromas. Can see things and it just looks really kind of like going back in time seeing these pots simmering over a fire and there's sort of that sense of anticipation by the time the food ends up on the plate yeah there's quite a lot of things done so many things really it's quite hard to remember yeah of course any big names that have attended any big uh, chef names we've had not really at the moment um not, not any other chefs which is quite good because actually <laughs> we've had a couple of key industry people from likes of Cranswick who, who supply meat to all the supermarkets, um, a few, a few uh, publishers, people who are very, very foodie who've been around, been to Michelin star restaurants and yeah. tried food in other places. So they're, they're quite informed. Um, and it's great having feedback from them, really good feedback especially when they've been to places like that. It's nice to see Instagram followers as well. And people who approach me and they've, they've known me on, they've seen me on Instagram and I, I don't know who they are. And they'll come up to me and they'll say, oh, I've been following you on Instagram for about four years and <laughs> finally tried your food now. And uh, <laughs> it's everything I hoped it was. Yeah, yeah that'll probably be us in a, next year or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Do you see it as a scalable franchise business, maybe like having a Cornwall version or a... Uh, a Devon version or a Scotland version, Irish version, I don't know. Yeah. It's very hard to replicate because some people have asked me kind of like for the blueprint of how you would do it. I see. And it, it, you can't really hand over the reins to somebody else who's had no experience really of cooking over wood fires. You can introduce them to those things, but it takes time. I mean, I did a year of, a full year of testing before we did the first buy and dine. We wanted it to be um, something that could be transferable that we could we could do in different places, but it's the logistics of it is quite difficult because of the the setup you need, the equipment. Even though it's quite basic, um, because it's off grid, everything's requires refrigeration, so it's quite a big task logistically. Um, it, it it kind of if if you had the setup and you spent some time investors in creating another setup and you have people that were experienced then it is it is possible yeah ourselves we keep our base in swington leeds because it's we know the setup we know the procedure yeah work with a small team and we we keep it there at present yeah i i guess what's what i didn't realize at least is that the requisite factors are so granular right it's not just oh you need someone that knows how to cook on a fire or you need to have open space. Like there's so many more things that you just mentioned, which, you know, it's very interesting. I never thought of that. Uh, be interesting to see if maybe in a business school or somewhere they could have a case study based on what you've done because 
I think students always try and come up with these projects for their dissertation or their final project presentation yeah. with something unique that doesn't exist. And then there's you that's just, oh, yeah. just come out of a, a 20 year graphic design career and started it. So um, <laughs> well, it, it took you a year. You, these things are, as, you know, it wasn't overnight. Yeah, I, I met the right person, Paul Dewison, who, who runs This Green Moon and I happened to be introduced to him by somebody else and they introduced me to him and um, I went to investigate the setup. He was asked to cook for a group of about 20 people and it, for an event which never happened. And so myself and Paul, we, we ended up chatting and we were actually sat around the fire at Swillington cooking sausages from the farm on twigs over a ah. fire. And the interesting thing is that's probably the first thing I ever cooked myself at about the age of 10. Oh, wow. <laughs> and a group of friends, we were, we were going on a, adventures and stuff, Goonies style. And um, that's what I cooked, roll sausages on twigs over a fire. So we, me and Paul, we just got chatting. I mean, I, I, I were going to different places to cook wild and in the local environment and wood fire cooking. But there at Swinton was a prime setup, which just kind of, you couldn't really predict it. Uh, so I go there and just experiment. I've got this place where I can legally make fires and just over time frame, must have been about a year. And then we actually came up with the idea one day of introducing the concept of off-grid dining, which yeah. I don't think really is, was, a, was a thing. Um, and it's not really a major thing. I don't think as many, many of us in the country were actually um, offering this to people. Yeah, it's very unique. Yeah. Um, what's been your biggest challenge so far? Biggest challenge? Yeah. In, in, in setting this up and in, in your whole journey on, um, on food and outdoors? Uh, it's, it's quite a self-sustaining lifestyle now. Okay. Because I work with quite a few brands and a lot of people approach me to come up with recipes or and, and put those out on Instagram or do videos with them and things like that. So it's quite a self-sustaining self-sustaining lifestyle. I think probably the, the challenge was in the early days where things are kind of building up. I think that's probably the challenge is, is just carrying on with it and how for how long. And seeing where it goes. Probably the biggest challenge is finding a publisher <laughs> uh, who wants to publish a book. Uh, but I've, I've got that many people who are asking for books and I've had meetings and so on, but it's just never happened as yet. Um, maybe one day it will happen. What's been the biggest hurdle in that? In that no, I think it's uh, publishers themselves, perhaps. I've had meeting, a meeting in March with Penguin, but things are not quite there yet. <clears throat> I don't know whether they see, don't see a market for my kind of thing or what. I think there's, that, that's the thing with, with food. It's an enormously competitive area. Yeah. But Instagram, likes of Instagram, you can be whatever you want to be. It's fine. You can... You don't have to be a published name to put you put your work out there. It, it would be nice to have a book, but it's not really something that I'm I've lost. I've sort of lost hope with now, so I'm not really that bothered to be honest about that. But that was probably a, would have been a nice thing. Maybe it'll happen one day. Who knows? Yeah, no, it's it's just a bit confusing because I know nothing about publishing. But if you clearly have tangible evidence that there's demand there, and then the publisher's not actioning on it. 
like if something doesn't add up and it's just a bit strange there must be like a disruptor in that publishing space that can uh, bring independent chefs like you into the publishing world and have books released or even ebooks right it doesn't have to be a book it can be an ebook yeah i don't know what what it what it is with publishers whether it's you need to be uh, an established name whether you need to be uh, a fully trained chef whether you own a restaurant whether you've been on tv yeah i think until you've cracked it in one of those areas perhaps there might be a stronger chance but i don't know whether they fully believe in some of you might have quite a lot of followers on Instagram alone is probably not enough. I'm not sure. I've no idea. I've, I have seen other people have books published with less followers, so I don't really yeah. know. It's about numbers. Very. I, it's a big. It's a big mystery to me. Um, I, I probably enjoy um, making a TV show more than writing a book because I'd be out there then, not really sat at a yeah, desk. Yeah, something on Netflix, that'd be amazing. You know, they had that street food series on, uh, on, on Netflix. They went to different countries like India, Korea, Japan. Uh, they should do a European version, obviously, include you in that somewhere with the British section. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, if I was to ask you, what's your greatest fear, what would you say? Starvation, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, indoors for more than 24 hours, but... <laughs> actually, yeah, that, that is the thing. I've, especially during the pandemic and the lockdown, it's not being able to be, get, get out there. sense of uh, confined spaces, probably. It's probably a thing. It's not really a fear, but it's out of choice. I'd much rather be outside in a big open space. Um, that's probably it, really. Being yeah. stuck inside. <laughs> And um, yeah, you seem like a really chill that person, someone that lives in the present, but do you ever have anything on your mind that keeps you awake at night? Maybe, maybe sometimes ideas. If I go to, to bed and I've still got ideas floating around and I need to achieve them, probably because my mind works quite, uh, I do have quite a lot of thoughts sometimes and I need to sort of slow down, wind down. Yeah. Um, I think that, that's probably a good thing why I do go outside and go for walks. Um, what keeps me awake at night? Probably the usual things, financial stuff, health. Yeah. Um, not going to bed hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a key thing. Starting the fire the next day, yeah. 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 yeah if you had a choice of going forward at any point in time or back at any point in time in history, which one would you choose and why? Um, I think perhaps going back in time when Alfred Wainwright was still alive, the famous Lakeland writer, just to be on a walk with Alfred Wainwright would be fascinating to actually yeah. ask him questions. Um, cause he, he was a bit like me, to be honest, he, he preferred his own company and, um, the epic work he did on his own. I'd probably relate to him as, you know, in terms of why he chose to go on walks on his own without any distractions but i think somebody like that is really really fascinating because yeah. uh, it takes quite a dedicated mind to achieve something on such a huge scale as he did yeah and, right and, when, you, and when you go on your walks do you ever encounter any other people that do the same thing as you on occasions i, I met one guy in in the peak district 
who was uh, from Manchester, a window cleaner. And uh, he, he was going out, he was heading out as I just got back to my car. And um, in the back of his van, he had all his kit and he had quite a few little small devices for making fires using different fuel sources and things like that. Because obviously you can't make a fire in the national parks. Um, and he was quite an eccentric character. So I had this chat with him and he said, you see, you're not the only one doing this kind of thing. Yeah. So on occasions I, I do meet people like that and I've you know, talked to other ramblers and hikers um, and a, a lot of them, I don't know whether it's, they do the same level of cooking as I do. Um, it's probably dried, dehydrated stuff that they're eating. Yeah. Um, cooking things from scratch. Yeah, convenience, yeah. I think that probably a lot of people find it a bit of a challenge or they wouldn't really know where to start. Probably can't be bothered to lug several kilos up a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> they just can't be bothered. <laughs> and um, if I was to give you a magic pen and paper for you to send back to the 20-year-old Paul, what would you say in it? Interesting question. Um, should have done the uh, GCSE economics. <laughs> Maybe should have become a chef, perhaps. But then again, I might not be where I am now because I'd be taught by somebody else and would have the same ideas. I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky question, that one. Yeah. Did you ever wonder and look back when you were just finishing uni and starting a new career? Not really. I think everything's taken its own pathway. So all the skills that having things like graphic design, even having an artistic eye comes into it when you're plating up some food or thinking about how ingredients are combined and technology and uh, photography. So all these, all these things are just extra skills, which I have. So a lot of, a lot of, Foodie people and chefs, they just take shots on their iPhones. Whereas I can take professional shots, which have been used in books for other people yeah. as well, which is all part of the creative process. And I'm quite, I like to have control. So I, I, like I've been using Photoshop for over 20 years. I've used Photoshop since like day one. Yeah. So I have these extra skills. So I don't really have any regrets really, because they are, they are to my advantage. It's, how I communicate is through images, I suppose, especially in social media. Yeah, it definitely shows. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what piece of advice would you have for people that perhaps uh, have been stuck in the same place for a long time? They want change, but they're scared to make that leap. Maybe they don't enjoy it as much as they used to and they're comfortable and, you know, they're scared of that jump. I think you've got to follow your own gut instincts if you can't make that leap it's a lot for a lot of people it's purely financial it needs to be feasible for a start um i think that if, it, if it's affecting your mental health then it's probably quite a good thing to just take a break i think it's far more important in the long run than uh you know going out of your mind because you want to do something else or you need, you need a clean break and to do what i do it takes quite a bit of a risk so i've, I've worked hard to be in the position i'm in yeah. Uh, and it takes a lot, takes a long time to get there. Um, but in the scale of things, I'm still quite quite young. I've not reached retirement age yet. Of course, yeah. Uh, 
so kind of be, be patient, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then take that sort of leap when when you can, when it's feasible. Yeah, you mentioned uh, financially, this is something that most people would consider. Um, sorry, this finances are something that most people are considering and probably that's the reason why they haven't taken that leap. Mm-hmm. What does financial freedom mean to you? Well, financially, it's things like responsibilities, uh, having a family, having a mortgage, yeah. bills to pay, debts and so on. So it's those sort of responsibilities, which are absolutely um, obvious. Yeah, yeah. You can't just like take a, a holiday. It's not like having a holiday. It's having a, a sustainable way of life. So I look at being luckily being able to turn a hobby, essentially, into um, a job. Okay. I get, paid, I get paid for what I do as well. So Yeah work with brands but it never feels like work because mm. uh, I work from home or work for, in other places where I'm doing photography for people food photography um, so for that as a skill so I've got an advantage there of making it a sustainable living I think that you just got to look at it practically um, yeah and then it's, it's kind of work less and have more free time is, yeah. the, is the thing yeah have you played this game called Either Or? No, I've never played it. So I'll say two things and you'll just choose one of them. Pizza or pasta? Pasta. Peak district or Lake district? Peak district. Medium rare or medium? Medium rare. Photos or videos? Photos. Beer or cider? Beer. Football or rugby? Rugby. Very quick on those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, I know my own mind. <laughs> yeah. No, brilliant. Yeah, no, it was great chatting to you. I, I learned a lot and I think, um, you know, we haven't had anyone on food so far. So Good. this is really interesting for all of us. And what you're doing is super unique, you know, and I think you're definitely yes. going somewhere. I just think uh, a lot of people can be quite difficult, especially what you're saying about publishing. So hopefully you can crack that one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wait and see. Yeah. Watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, Staz, I'm not sure if you had any more questions, but uh, yeah, I think, you know. No, I don't have any more questions. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, that was, was really great. Yeah, nice. definitely. And uh, we'll be in touch for a part two, or if we ever do a panel with, with other amazing chefs, we'll definitely invite you on. Me too, thanks.